I think some of the fear is gone, but certainly not all of it. And I think a lot of people are dealing with many repercussions, possibly from the vaccines or boosters. Yeah, it's still very much with us. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. Three years ago, pretty much to the day, the United States closed down. We'd been watching the progress of the coronavirus as it migrated from China and then throughout the world, bringing fear, death, and lockdowns. I was getting ready to cancel my plane ticket to the 2020 Shendong Conference when I was gripped by a terror that had me in between one breath and another decide I wasn't sending my kid to school until there was more clarity on this viral menace. And it turns out, this was not just a viral infection of the body, but of the mind as well. Looking back at the last three years has been like looking at a photo from the early 70s, in that it's hard to believe that we dressed, act, and thought the way we did back then. COVID-19 was the first pandemic that came with a social media feed. The virus infected our bodies and our nervous systems through that fabulous exobrain we created, the internet. The internet failed long ago in its promise of instant communication, allowing our world to come together and understand each other better. And what's more, COVID found its way into the fractures of our society and fractures like coal shale. In California, you were not allowed on a public beach, even by yourself. And at the same time, in many American cities, it was not only fine to attend packed demonstrations, but considered healthier than allowing racism to flourish. A new and promising vaccine technology was rolled out with blinding speed, but it failed to prevent the transmission of illness, which was disappointing. We still do not know the long-term effects. And then there's the lingering resentments that both sides harbor over mandated vaccination. We had conflicting and constantly changing recommendations from the CDC, from don't wear a mask to save the masks for healthcare workers, to make a mask from an old t-shirt. And eventually we got designer masks that you could wear as an accessory to your properly socially distanced gatherings. We saw science bifurcate into the science of investigation and the science of narrative. Opposing factions would wave their science like different sects of any religion wave their version of the sacred text, the truth, and the way. Families fractured along the lines of if you were vaccinated or not. The daily litany of infection and death rates addicted everyone's attention. Those who tested positive were stigmatized. I had patients who would call apologetically to cancel appointments when they got the virus. They almost always said, I don't know how I got it. I was being so careful. Rules mandates, and social distance became the order of the day. And all of that is a rough way to go when you're a social creature like a human being whose nervous system is wired for connection. And not virtual connection, but an 
in person where we share the same air-breathe type connection. I don't need to tell you about the mental health, drug-related tragedy, and troubles this imposed on pretty much everybody as our usual activities and ways of living were put on hold. What's more and closer to home was both the faith we had in the storied history of our medicine as being capable of effectively treating epidemic disease, along with the lack of know-how many of us had in treating COVID-19 in anything other than an academic fashion. And then there was hoping the shotgun formulas from China might help us and our patients. Just because doctors of the past had the capacity for working out how to use herbal medicine to treat the scourge of their times, it didn't mean that we automatically have the know-how. It requires going deeper into the roots of our medicine, not peering through a microscope or into a Petri dish. It takes courage, scholarship, and active engagement in the clinical setting. It's a risky business in the moments of unfolding uncertainty and knowing that lives hang in the balance. The challenge of the past three years has certainly left its mark. It has shown us more of our character and the character of those around us. And as I said, it's a virus that not only touched our lungs and blood chemistry, it has its spike protein in our minds, and it has reshaped society, social norms, and the political landscape. No one has been untouched. I consider the coronavirus as I would any troublesome situation. Does it leave me stronger or weaker? More robust and anti-fragile or diminished and susceptible? And perhaps most important, do I have a greater appreciation for the uncertain beauty of life or have I become smaller, more angry and fearful? The past three years have been a challenge to all of us involved with medicine, and it's been an opportunity to discover how acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine can be helpful in the face of a pandemic that had everyone wondering just what this pathogen was and how to best treat it. In a moment, we'll get into a conversation with Sally Rappaport on her experience using herbal medicine to treat COVID-19. It's coming up right after Shop Talk, the clinical nuts and bolts portion of the digital campfire here. It's all practical material on treating patients using acupuncture or herbs, along with a smattering of the how-to of running that fantastic machine for social good and change, your practice. But first, a word from the folks who make it possible for you to enjoy Geological. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers 
our terrific sponsors, and for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Today on Shop Talk, you've got me, Michael Max, and I'd like to share with you 
One of the many things I found helpful about the work of Dr. Huang Huang on herbal medicine and constitutional types. Now, before I begin, I want to mention that the perspective that I'm sharing here today, it came from a little book that Huang Huang wrote back in the 90s when he was living in Japan and doing some cultural and medicine exchange with the doctors there. The book was published in English in 2021. Lucky for us, the ideas and methods of Chinese herbal medicine don't really go out of date. I suspect that you'll find this to be useful. And if you want to get the latest on Dr. Huang's thinking and access to some of his methods in English, Aran Evan has some great resources for you. You can uh, visit the show notes page for some links to his website. Today, though, I want to share with you something that I learned from Huang Huang's book, Zhong Yi Shi Da Lei Fang, The Ten Key Formula Families in Chinese Medicine. In this book, he talks about how different herbs have an affinity, if you will, for different constitutional body types. I've had a fascination with the idea of constitution medicine. I, I think, actually, I found the pattern recognition we were taught in TCM to be difficult for me. I wasn't very good at it. So I rather like the idea that there are a handful of constitutions. And if we knew a patient's constitution, then, well, we could treat that. And that should take care of their other issues. Honestly, I think it was a bit of mental laziness on my part. And I was hoping that if I could unlock and really understand a person's constitution, I might be able to help them better. Maybe you've done the same, looked at a patient, maybe through the filters of the Wuxing, the the five phases, and decided that someone's a, let's say, water person. And so you need to think about them, and you need to treat them, and you need to talk to them and work with them in a particular kind of way. Their strengths and their weaknesses would come out of that constitutional predilection. I guess I would say at this point, I think the idea of constitution is indeed part of our differential diagnosis, which of course is essential if we want to understand, more importantly, be able to help our patients. In the early days of my practice, I thought constitution might be a bit of Chinese medicine magic and that if I really grokked a constitution, It would give me some extra leverage in getting better clinical results. At this point, well, I think there are indeed constitutional aspects to us and to our patients. I see it more like habits with a lot of inertia or aspects of a person's physicality that has been shaped to some degree by genetics, some degree by habit, and to some degree by their environment as well, for sure constitution is something to consider. And I think it's reliable too, as you're about to find out. At the same time, I urge you not to stop your inquiry process once you've decided the constitution of your patient. You still have to remain flexible in your thinking. That said, here's why understanding your patient's constitution when doing herbal medicine is helpful. It helps because you can decide at the outset what herbal formula families you can safely for the moment put to the side and instead focus on the prescriptions from within your patient's herbal constitution. This makes clinical decision-making a little easier 
And it helps you to clarify your clinical discernment and thinking. In 10 Key Formula Families, Huang Huang describes the different kinds of people who would be benefited from different herbs. And as Huang points out, not only are these herbs beneficial to the patient, but more importantly, they're safe for them as well, and they can take them long term. Let's talk about guajir, the cinnamon twig constitution. These folks tend to have pale, moist skin with really fine pores. Their skin is moist because the pores open up easily. And because the pores open easily, they tend to be sensitive to wind. You're probably familiar with that phrase from the Shanghan Lun about people who have an aversion to wind or cold. Guajir types, for sure, have an aversion to wind. And they tend to be rather sensitive to cold as well. They're the first people that you'll see in the fall who come in wearing scarves. And they might even wear them in the summer if they're frequently in air-conditioned environments as well. Now, Westerners will look at you with confusion if you ask them if they have an aversion to wind. So I found it's better to ask the question, hey, in cold weather in the winter, if there's a draft in the room, are you the first person to notice it? Guajir types will think you are downright psychic for asking this. Additional things to look for in the guajir type constitution, these folks tend to be a little bit on the thin side. They're often emotionally sensitive as well. Their eyes have a spirited look. They're really engaging folks to be around. Physically, the abdomen is usually relatively flat, and you'll find the abdominal muscles, generally speaking, they're pretty tight. Their lips, they tend to be either a pale red color or, or a bit dark. The pulse is often floating and large. Here's a key thing to it. When you just barely put your fingers on the pulse, you'll be able to feel it. The tongue on guajir folks, it tends to be on the soft side, generally speaking, pale red or maybe a little bit dark pale, not unlike the lips, and it tends to have a thin, moist white coating. I often think of guajir types as being a little bit blood deficient. They also tend to get colds easily. Additionally, they have a tendency towards abdominal pain, palpitations, and shallower dream-filled sleep. If the thought sensitive artistic type runs through your mind, you might be looking at a guajir person. As I've already said, when planning to give herbs to a patient, if you can get a read on their constitutional type, then you can start using prescriptions from within that herbal family. And again, these are prescriptions that will, generally speaking, both be effective and safe for these patients. So, for example, let's say your patient has anxiety, trouble with sleep, they're frustrated and distraught, and perhaps they express some irritation as well. Often enough, Patients like this will be given something like Xiaoyao-san or Chaihu Shugan-san. These formulas are frequently overprescribed because of the tendency to think people who are irritable and frustrated need a Chaihu formula. However, if you take into account the constitutional aspect of your patients, then for the Guajir people, you would want to use something like Guajir Jia Longgu Mu Li Tang, 
Likewise, for those with the cinnamon twig constitution, if there's joint pain and cramping from cold along with cold and clammy skin, consider using guajir cha futsa tang. A little bit of futsa in there will take care of the cold and help this constitution. Now, for those with chronic abdominal pain, and especially if there are palpitations along with irritability, think about so many people you've seen in your clinic with digestive sensitivities. Again, these people often get prescribed some kind of wood overacting on earth formulation. But with the guajir types, it's more of a problem with the earth on its own. And it's not that the earth is weak but it needs some harmonization. So, for your guajir patients, consider xiao jianzhong tang, minor construct the middle using guajir, bai xiao, ginger, licorice, plums, and a bit of brown sugar. And just think about this formula for a moment. Doesn't it actually sound tasty, soothing, and nourishing? Well, when I think of guajir, folks, I think there are often some aspects of deficiency that need some attention. So do keep that in mind as well. And remember, they're kind of sensitive, delicate flowers. So gentle tonification, and more importantly, harmonization, is the key to treating them well. There is a lot more in the translation of Huang Huang's 10 Key Formula Families in Chinese Medicine which is available from Eastland Press, or you can get it on the Big River of Books. But I recommend buying it directly from Eastland because those guys have done a lot over the years to bring East Asian medicine from their native languages into English. I think they deserve our support. And again, if you'd like to get some information and access to some of the latest thinking and methods that Dr. Huang Huang is teaching these days, please visit Aran Evans' website. He's got some great material. Sally Rappaport, welcome back to Geological. Thank you, Michael, for having me once again. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, always delightful to talk with you. And thanks so much for joining this series on Long COVID. This is airing in the month of March. It was not a merry month in March three years ago. It was disastrous. It was horrifying. Yeah, we were really scared back then. Yes, we were. It was very bizarre and scary. And I mean, truthfully, I was trying to figure out about the Shenong Society Conference first. And yeah, remember, you were helping us with that. And we got it all on Zoom. And then after that, I was like, I have to close my practice. That's crazy. But I did it. Many of us did. And it's three years later. It's a great time, I think, for us to pause, reflect, look at what we've learned. And maybe more importantly, look at what the challenges are that are in front of us now as we come out of you know, a more acute time and into this longer ongoing relationship that we will have with the coronavirus. Yes, I think that's really important. I think some of the fear is gone, but certainly not all of it. And 
I think a lot of people are dealing with many repercussions, possibly from the vaccines or boosters. Yeah, it's still very much with us. What at this moment in your practice, and when I say this moment as context, we're talking at the very end of January 2023, what would you say you are seeing in your clinical practice at this moment? I'm just going to use that general rubric of COVID, and that could be an actual infection, that could be the effects of long COVID. Yeah, I would say for probably three months, basically since people are inside more, I see a handful or less of COVID cases every week in my practice. So maybe the last few weeks, it's been one or two. Some weeks, it was more like five. Now, are you seeing them in person or doing some kind of remote work? When people have active COVID, I do telemedicine. And once they test negative, then I'll see them in the clinic. Have you had people come in feeling kind of sick and run down? And they go, you know, I'm not feeling well. They list off the symptoms they've got, but don't worry, it's not COVID. I've had a test, but they still come in feeling like that. Have you noticed that going on in your practice? I've seen it. Yes, I certainly have seen it. And some people, like people who have allergies are like, oh, I think it's really allergies. So that was especially in the fall. And I think after that, There's definitely that question mark, and some people say, I'm not sure, and they cancel, or we switch to telemedicine, and some people come in, and, you know, I'm masked in my clinic still, which makes me feel better, and I treat everybody, but yeah, it's a little bit, slightly worrisome, but I did get COVID a couple of years ago. And I guess end of 2021, and that was very clearly from someone at Thanksgiving, and I was the only other person that got it. So I haven't gotten it from a patient. I'm not that concerned about it. Yeah. Like I was saying, like we were talking about at the beginning, we were all fearful out of our minds. We didn't know what we were facing three years ago. This is a personal question. You may even want to pass on it, and that would be okay. Are you that scared of it at this point? What's your stance on it? I live with someone who has not gotten it, who has COPD, so my partner. So I'm mostly concerned for him. We were pretty careful when I got it, and he did not get it. That's really my main fear, is that he could go down badly if he gets it quick. I guess otherwise, in terms of treating it, treating myself, treating people, I feel like I've helped a lot of people at this point through COVID. So I've seen some of my patients with chronic lung disease. So obviously I shouldn't be as worried about him because I've treated a lot of my patients who have bad lungs and they've gotten through it without being hospitalized. So I'm definitely less afraid than I would be You know, personally, with my partner, he would just be so afraid if he gets it. I just hope he doesn't have to go through that. What about in terms of your patient population in general? Are they coming in still fearful or are they brushing it off as nothing or something in between? What's the word on the street up there? 
So my situation is that I did, at the end of December, I did close my New York City practice, but it was very recently. It was just a few weeks ago. And I would say there was a cadre of people, most of them lived alone, who are still very cautious and very anxious. They don't go any place and like sit inside with people. Even in the winter, they'll only go to places that have like heated outsides to at a restaurant or something like that. They're extremely, extremely care cautious. And they're also probably the people that I know mostly who have not gotten it. I would say most people, even those who have been very careful, have gotten it. But I do know a handful of people who have not. I know a handful who have not. It's the vast minority. I'm surprised when I hear people haven't had, like, you haven't had COVID? What? Come on, all the popular kids get COVID. What are you talking about? Exactly. That's pretty much how it is. And I would say my partner is actually not one of those people who was very, very careful, but... Yeah, I know a few people like that who just like, they're very cautious about hugging, they're always masked, and they practically don't go inside. They'll come into my office for treatment, but that's a big deal for them. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So in terms of treating COVID, you're an herbalist, of course, famous for that. I suspect you're primarily using herbs. Do you also use acupuncture in any way to treat COVID? Or are you mostly an herb girl with this? I'm mostly an herb girl with uh, acute COVID cases. I certainly used acupuncture with the long COVID people. And I love acupuncture. I'm just not known as much for that. In terms of long COVID, what are you seeing? What kind of presentations are walking into your clinic? As I was preparing for this, I was trying to like list my long COVID patients that I've seen, and I'm sure I forgot some of them. A lot of people, I think, also over the last two years are kind of coming in and saying, well, I don't know if this is from the vaccine or this is something else or this is from when I had COVID last spring or, you know, I don't know if you hear that a lot, but I do hear that a lot from people. I think... Fatigue and headaches 
are super common. The main thing that's not on that list that I put, I sent that chart for my tip at the end of this. And the main thing that's not on there is insomnia. I would say almost across the board, the long COVID patients have trouble sleeping. There's an enormous amount of anxiety and depression, weird neurological symptoms, I would say, is the other thing. And then like palpitations, shortness of breath. But the big ones are probably fatigue, headaches, and insomnia actually is really a big part of it too. And there's this part of that I think people can't sleep and they can't restore, they can't get better. It's one of those unvirtuous cycles where if you're not feeling well, you get kind of anxious. And when you're anxious, you don't sleep as well. And when you don't sleep as well, you don't restore. And when you don't restore, you still feel lousy and around and around we go. Would you say that the insomnia that you're seeing is more anxiety-induced, or is that maybe some other thing that body's response to COVID has created? I think it's a real combination. A lot of people have fitful sleep. You know, they're just waking up numerous times when they first come to see me. And I think in part that could be anxiety. Some of them... They'll wake up and then, you know, they'll eventually fall back to sleep, wake up again, fall back to sleep. But I think one of the things is people would also do the wake up early at 5 a.m. and they don't have to get up until 7 or 8 and they would not be able to fall back asleep at that point. In terms of treatment, patterns that you see, formulas that come to mind or, you know, various I don't want to say diagnoses, but I think I want to say diagnoses. Like, what kind of patterns are showing up that seem to match herbal prescriptions that you're used to using or, you know, acupuncture types of treatments and combinations that seem to fit? What do you see in there? Well, I primarily use some acupuncture. So it really varies a lot. And you know, depends on what people come in with. For sure, if shortness of breath is one of the main symptoms, then pericardium is going to be in there as a SOM treatment. Often at some point, kidneys, they need to consolidate. But I would say that really varies from person to person an enormous amount. Of course. I mean, that's the nature of our medicine. Yeah. In terms of herbs, I feel like the formulas are not so complicated. There's a lot of Guajertang variations, Chaihu variations. I would say those initially are pretty much the formulas. I was looking at my formulas for all these patients, and that was what they were primarily in the Shaoyang family or the Taiyang family of formulas with some other things thrown in there sometimes, depending on the presentation. You know, Guajurjiagurgantang for these, like, fevers. I think I didn't mention fevers. A lot of people seem to have these fevers that don't ever go away. They might be mild fevers. They're not super strong fevers like they may have had when they first got COVID, but every day they get a fever. And 
Those formulas can be super helpful if they're accompanied with headache. A nice hefty dosage of Gugan often does the trick. Right. Now, are using that, when you see these fevers, they're kind of there, they kind of go away, they're kind of there, they go away, but they're constant in their cyclical nature. Do you see that as more of a, a Shaoyang type thing? I do. But depending on the person, if they're kind of sweaty, if they have palpitations, that sort of thing, then it might be more of a Chai Hu Tong presentation. But I think pretty much across the board, the people who came in with these fevers, they were in a Shaoyang place. And it was pretty obvious that their pivot was not working properly. And so it just kept, it was like, oh, <laughs> I can't get the pivot to move. It was the kind of issue where it was, for the most part, more deficient. I think one of the other things that I find interesting about the long COVID patients is that I would say a majority of them, not all of them, but I would say 60 or 70% of the long COVID patients were people who were kind of type A's to start with. Oh, the people that are pushing, pushing, pushing anyway. Yeah, they were pushing, pushing, pushing. They'd always push, push, pushed. And they just have such a hard time with not being able to bounce back and do what they used to do again. And then they also are looking for an answer. They want to get better they want it yesterday. Yes, they want the answer yesterday. So I saw a couple of people like that. And when the treatment didn't work instantaneously, they went on to the next cure. You know, they didn't come back. But some of their symptoms would have gotten better, but not everything. And they just talk to people a lot about having patience, that this is going to be an incremental recovery. And at the beginning, I kind of didn't know that. But Having seen a lot of chronically ill people over the years, I kind of did know it. And it just seemed like it was that sort of issue that your body just took this on and it's hanging on to these symptoms and it's going to be slow. Some of them will get better more quickly, but some of them are going to be really recalcitrant and will be difficult to get them to shift. I've noticed this myself, the people that respond quickly tend to respond pretty quickly, two or three treatments in their world better. They're back on it. Life is good. And then you've got the people, they still can't taste properly. Their smell doesn't work. They've got often enough some kind of strange lingering neurological issues. Yeah, those strange neurological ones are really wild. Do you see that more with, and this could be an inflammatory question, do you see that more with people that have had COVID or more with people that had the vaccine? More with long COVID, but there have been some people from the vaccine too, maybe that they got some strange neurological symptoms, but not so much. Lots of, from the vaccine, I think the most common thing with women is their periods, their next period or two is wonky that I saw a lot of after the boosters. If they have a lot of inflammation, then whatever in their body tends to get inflamed would be inflamed after the vaccine. 
Well, you know, there's your Chinese medicine theory at work right there. You've got some dampness, you've got some heat, you throw something else in on top of it, you know, lighting a match in a flammable area. So definitely those situations you have to treat appropriately. And sometimes they would just get better with acupuncture, I found. You know, I was, I think those vaccine and booster reactions, I've been pretty much able to deal with that way. But I found that the long COVID symptoms, some of them took longer. I had one patient with trembling in his hands and maybe a little bit in his legs, but a lot of just like tremors that he'd never had before, along with the insomnia and fatigue and just some digestive issues. And he just slowly, incrementally got better. And I looked back and I think I started seeing him in May and by October, so it took a while, he was really having way, way, way more good days than bad days. And and that was sort of how it went. Like his good days, there were more of them. First, it would just be part of a day. Then it would get to be a longer, a whole half a day. Then it would get to be a whole day. Then it would be two days in a row and one bad day. You know, so it really would go that way. And on the bad days... Or when he didn't sleep as well, then he would have the tremors. And I tried a lot of things, and it was really hard to get rid of them. But eventually, you know, now he's better. And he was someone who had been very anxious about getting COVID, and he didn't get it until, I think, March or April this past year, 22. Sometimes I wonder... How much of the lingering COVID issues are physical damage from the virus and how much of it is mindset and psychology and fear? You know, so often I hear people say things like, I don't know how I got it. They're very angry about it. And they feel like they've been cheated in some way. It's like, I've got all my boosters. I've been very careful. I don't understand why I have it. They're angry at themselves for one, and they're angry at the world. And I see a fair amount of this. There's an incredible amount of, I don't know if remorse is the right word, but let's just say there's a lot of emotions, some directed inward in kind of a self-hatred way and some directed outward in definitely a hatred way. If it wasn't for those people, I wouldn't have been sick. And I wonder how much of that fits into this. I think I would say in the last six months in New York City, that really changed because almost since Omicron last winter and then the new variants that are just so hyper contagious, there's so few people who haven't gotten it by this fall. And many people are getting it for a second time or a third time. You know, I haven't seen very many people with three times, but a lot of people who got it a second time this past year. And I felt like that attitude changed. I personally feel like the vaccines and boosters are not going to keep you from getting it. And that some of that kind of emotional attitude was more prevalent 
before the vaccines or early on when we didn't know that the vaccines don't really keep you from getting it. They keep you from dying. They keep you from having really severe illness where you need to be hospitalized. I personally feel like the importance of them now is that, is that you don't want to get severely sick. You don't want to end up in the hospital. And those patients with that kind of self-hatred or, you know, anger, I think at this point in New York City, at least, we kind of got past that. It's not that they're not anxious about getting sicker. They are. You know, they're worried about how sick they'll get. But not so much the blame. So as more and more people have had COVID, it's less and less of a stigma to have had it. It really shifted over these three years. Initially, people were terrified. You know, a lot of people were practically afraid to go outside. Well, there were places you were not allowed to go outside. I mean, California locked down their beaches. Right. Everything was shut down. It was pretty crazy the, in 2020. 2020 was just kind of a bizarre ride. And then people started taking more risks. I mean, the end of May was George Floyd. And then, you know, a lot of young people and all sorts of people were out on the streets in New York City. And that was also really important. So I think that was kind of this big shift in New York City at that time in a certain way. And then the next big shift came in 2021 when people started getting vaccinated. And I think there was just like this real shift from I tried to do everything I could and I still got COVID in 2020, early 2021 to, as you said, I'm vaccinated and I still got it. What did I do wrong? And then once Omicron came by early 2022, I feel like people were dropping like flies everyone was getting it. Well, they weren't dropping like flies dead, but they were getting sick. Right, exactly. I mean, those were the days in my practice. I'm sorry. Those were the days of my practice where I would have like 10 cancellations in a week from COVID, you know, of live patients. It was really wild. Well, I think we're lucky to get Omicron. Omicron kind of gave us that herd immunity we didn't have in 2020. It sort of did. I haven't thought about it that way, but that's really true. Yeah, super contagious. Knock you down for a few days, maybe a little longer, depending on how compromised your system is. But this past fall, there's been a respiratory bug going around here in the St. Louis area. And the people that have gotten that respiratory bug, they've been really sick and they have this congestion in the head. It's been a bear to clear that stuff out. It's been really hard. The people that have gotten COVID, they're like, yeah, I was down for a day or two. I'm fine. It's like, you got COVID. Oh, that's good news. You're going to be fine in a day or two. Exactly. That, that happened in New York City, too, this fall. You know, I'm curious. We're fortunate to practice medicine. It's such an interesting way to uh, go through the day and unfold a life. And one of the things I love about it is we're constantly challenged to be learning all the time. It's like, we're never done with that. And something comes along like COVID, it's like, you know, on one hand, like, oh shit, now what? And on the other hand, it's like, hmm, I wonder what that is. That's interesting. 
I'm curious to know what you've learned in the past few years because of COVID. Like, what has COVID taught you about being a doctor? You know, I feel like I've learned so much on so many levels, but for me, it's really confirmed my love for the classics and really trying to pay attention to diagnosis and being present with people and how they're presenting today. You know, treating what's there and not treating COVID. I would say the one exception to that is that with many COVID and long COVID patients, I do understand this microclotting issue from a Western perspective and from a Chinese medicine perspective, that's blood stasis. And I would say 95% of people have that issue and that needs to be addressed with our treatments. And I might just using the classical formulas without modification, I might not have been as aware of that. But once that information started coming out and I realized how much I was seeing signs of blood stasis in people, I found it really important to them getting better more quickly and having fewer repercussions from getting COVID. So I also feel like those first lectures that I was part of giving on a different platform from this about classical formulas and COVID, like really thinking about those formulas and some of the formulas that I was less familiar with, I feel like those or parts of those formulas were super helpful treating COVID symptoms. I feel like, you know, as simple as we think treating a cough is, the nasty coughs that are hanging on with people are one of the most difficult things to treat. I mean, I don't think Western medicine treats them well either, except they give people inhalers right away. And I think that I've learned an enormous amount about treating coughs, which I wasn't, I didn't know about before. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. 
You know, I, I want to get into that in just a second. Let's just stick a pin in it for a moment. Coughs. We're going to come back to that. You mentioned the blood stasis piece, and I think that's something, certainly we heard about that from the Western medicine community. We were able to see signs of that, especially in our women patients, for sure, with COVID and the vaccines for that matter, this blood stasis aspect. You were talking about some different formulas and and things that you've learned from this. I'm curious to know what some of those are. What are some of those little tricks or little things that you noticed about, oh, I can add this to this formula, I use this part of this formula, or maybe there's a whole formula you never used before, but it really fits for this. And also how you go at the blood stasis aspect of this. So that's really two different questions. In terms of the blood stasis, yes, women may be getting more blood stasis and having more difficulty with their periods, but Really, I'm talking about catching it way before then in terms of the people with headaches or sinus problems or loss of sense of taste or smell and the people with chronic coughs. So with the head symptoms, I do tend to add Xuanxiang to their formulas. With the chest symptoms, I do tend to add Dan Shen to their formulas. And I basically do that almost always with acute COVID cases, just a little bit, just to make sure that it doesn't go into the blood stasis kind of issue as much as possible. Uh So you kind of use it prophylactically. I do. And I don't do that very often with how I treat people with herbs, but I do it with COVID. And I think it's really important because this virus doesn't behave like other viruses. Most viruses don't have that microclotting part to them. And so I think it's really important. And then in terms of formulas that I haven't used as much, I probably added Huanglian Banchia Guala. I should know this too. Isn't that, that that like falling in the chest decoction? What's that called? I'm blanking on it too. I know what you're talking about. So tell us a little bit about how that one works. We'll figure out the name in a minute. Okay. So that's a really great formula for hot phlegm, for yellow phlegm. I often will add that formula to patients who have a lot of, of yellow phlegm in their chest or to keep them. If it's someone who has chronic lung issues, then I would add that even before the phlegm goes into their chest to make sure their chest stays open with the gualo and the phlegm is resolving with the bunchia and heat is not happening with the huanglian. So I guess that's another time with patients who already have chronic lung conditions, you can do a little bit of treating prophylactically that tends to work. You know, I can think of one patient who has chronic asthma, who, you know, the first formula that I use is uh, mushing shurgantan. Oh God, one of my favorites. Yeah. For someone with chronic lung stuff, when they first get a cold, you know, when they first get COVID, that's where you start. But depending on how much phlegm or if it's yellow, you might add in those other herbs. 
Great. I got the name here. Xiao Xin Chong Tang. Thank you. Another one for people with a lot of chest symptoms that I hadn't been familiar with is Shugan Mua Huang Tang. And that's a really great formula if that yellow sticky phlegm has been really stuck in there for a while in the chest. It really helps to clear it. And I feel like before, I didn't use Shurgan very much anymore. And when I did use it, it might be for a really severe sore throat. But it's actually with Mahong, and there's Shingren in there. And I think there's Kwandonghua and Zerwan. And I can't remember everything. But together, those herbs really help to clear and open the chest. If the people are starting to wheeze and really feel that elephant on their chest kind of thing, which early days of COVID, people have the cement in their chest thing that they describe. I haven't heard anyone talking about that for quite a while, probably for a year, probably since Omicron. But with the original... Yeah, I would say as the virus changed, that aspect tended not to show up so much in people. Thank goodness. Yeah. And I think some people with the crazy lung precursors, you know, that they had lung disease already, they might have something similar. But those patients tend to talk about the elephant on their chest, not the cement. Whereas the early COVID people were talking about cement. All right. Let's turn to the coughs. It sounds like COVID has turned you into a bit of a cough expert. You learned a lot about it, more than you ever wanted to know. So some of those herbs like the Zewan Kwandonghua, that's one of my favorite combinations. Kwandonghua, yeah. You know, that's one of those herbs I remember in school. We studied it. We never used it. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I've used it for a while, but not necessarily in that combination. So what's the combination again? Kwandonghua and? And Zewan. Zewan. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's from that formula, I believe. So another one that I've been using a ton more recently, I think, with the Chai Hu, the Shaoyang people with cough, is adding Sherbai, which is an herb I hardly ever used before. Sherbai. Yeah, but it's a classic modification of Shaoyang formulas. It's the chive bulb, shabai. My pronunciation is terrible. I'm so sorry. I'm drawing a blank on shabai at the moment. Tell us about it. X-I-E-B-A-I. So it is a classic modification for cough in Shaoyang syndromes, and it really resolves phlegm and descends that rebellious lung chi that's causing the cough. So if someone is a clear Shaoyang presentation, then it's just super, super helpful. It usually just makes the difference. So then I think that the other thing that I've really learned is there's a point often with coughs where they get dry and sticky and difficult to expectorate. It's not so much croupy, it's more just dry. Like it's just stuck in there. And you don't do it for the person with a tickle. That might be more a Sherbai kind of presentation. 
But when it's underneath the sternum and they just feel like there's something in there and it's stuck and either they're having coughing fits where they can't stop coughing or when they cough, it just is stuck. It's that dry, clipped cough and it's not going away. So some people walk into clinic and they have this cough that they've had for six weeks and you're seeing them for the first time and you want to go, slip, slip, slip. Why didn't you come in sooner? And they didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know. Um, so you forgive them quickly. But then you have to add some of the lung, like yin nourishing herbs to the formula. Not completely, but you need to add some maimandong or add some shashan, add some uweitsa to help the fluids break up, loosen up that phlegm. And that seems to me the key. So you got to moisten it a bit so that you can break up that. Yeah, you just have to moisten it a little bit so that the cough can go away. And I think Earlier in my career, I didn't understand when treating cough, I would kind of go one way or the other way, either just trying to dry it up, dry it up, dry it up. But then it got too dry, but it still hadn't gone away. Well, the problem with dry is it will not go away because now you've got desiccated, obstructive phlegm. That's nasty. Yes, it's really nasty. So... I found kind of just adding a little bit of those, and it's usually not at the beginning of the disease. It's usually when someone's had the cough for a little while, and that happens. And it's not so much for that little tickly thing either. That would be more like a banchia hopotong or adding a little jersher or hopo just to get this as long as it's not too dry. As long as it's not too dry. I have found with a cough like that, if it's too dry, those herbs will dry it out more. You got to be a little, I found I've got to be a little bit careful with the bansha that way. Yeah, not so much. I was saying the jusher and the hopo bansha. Well, I did say bansha hopotang, but sometimes that might not be the right thing because it would be too drying. I mean, you just have to be cautious. Exactly. You have to be cautious. And a lot of times I feel like it's a little tweak this way and a little tweak that way. Absolutely. This is what makes our work so much fun and so damn annoying at the same time. Yeah. Another thing with COVID that we haven't talked about is how crazy it was at the beginning, especially. But I think even now with COVID, COVID patients is how quickly symptoms would change. And so getting people herbs at the beginning, that was a really wacky to also, because I'd only give them like two days of herbs because their symptoms could be completely different in three days. And so that was a whole thing that I'd never been through before. And I sometimes would deliver herbs to people if that worked. Sometimes they'd send someone to pick up herbs and I have like a mailbox outside my office in the city where I would just leave them. I really want to get an old milk box for my office up here. What a great idea. Yeah. I have a porch right outside the door. It would be so perfect for leaving my herbs. So 
COVID made you a better herbalist. Absolutely. I must say I got a little frustrated with the the formulas that everyone was buying and or selling that was just like, this is the COVID, COVID number one, COVID number two, you can treat everybody with these. I was kind of horrified. Well, okay. So I've got a stance on this and I suspect you did. Well, let's just be fair. Everyone's got their stance. So fair enough. But the stance that I have somehow taken with Chinese medicine, I think I can thank my teachers and I can thank my experience, is that we're looking at something and you go, what is it? And the first answer is always, I don't know. I don't know. What is it? That's a great question. And you have to look. You have to look at the symptoms. You have to look at the person. You have to look at the whole picture. And so to be able to blunt, you know, I was going to say blindly, but it's not blindly. It's bluntly. Take a formulation and go, this will treat that. Well, that's not Chinese medicine. That's Western medicine, which has its place. But I'm with you on this, Sally. I, you know, we're singing out of the same songbook here. You really have to see for what person at what moment with what they got will tell you what they need. And it's, you know, it's so great to think that we could grasp at something and go, oh, this will fix that. And sometimes it does, but more often I think it misses the mark than really hits it. That's absolutely true. I do also understand, I think, I understand why they were formulated in China for the most part when they were at the beginning of the pandemic, when they were just trying to reach as many people as possible before there were any vaccines in 2020, and they developed these formulas to try to kind of cover the bases. Well, you know, there is that, and you look at those formulas, and they were a cover the bases. Let's also remember that a lot of Chinese medicine, as it's practiced in China these days, rhymes a little more with Western medicine than it does with Chinese medicine. Just because it came from China and Chinese medicine practitioners in China, who I could get in trouble for saying this, doesn't mean it's really Chinese medicine as, as you and I are talking about it here today. That's true. But I believe back in 2020 at our conference, Suzanne Robidoux was talking about how they were distributing in the parks. If you tested positive, you were able to get herbs and so they developed some of those formulas to treat people really quickly. So you could get five bags of herbs or 10 bags of herbs to try to address COVID and not end up in the hospital. And I think when you have a huge population with a pandemic and the hospitals are overcrowded, I think, so you don't have time for practitioners to individualize treatment. I think in that sense... It was wonderful. Well, you know, for sure there's that. I mean, extraordinary, difficult moments in time like a pandemic call for extraordinary uh, measures, no doubt about that. And there's also that whole learning curve thing, like, what are we actually looking at and dealing with here? I remember talking with Jinjiang earlier in the pandemic as well, you know, and they were actually using like WeChat to diagnose people, you know, in completely different provinces and try to prescribe herbs for them and work at it more with that, you know, individual one-on-one. Yeah, again, this is the challenge of doing medicine. Sometimes you may not do it as well, but you can treat more people and, and maybe be helpful. 
Exactly. So I do think for people here, as much as you can individualize your treatments, as you develop your knowledge, then that's also really important. And there's so many outlets now for studying. And that's really wonderful, too. Shenong Society being one of them. (laughs) Absolutely, Shenong being one of them. And uh, you're going to have your conference in person this year, aren't you? We are. We are so excited. Yeah, we're going to be in person. We're going to. We're trying to organize a party for Saturday night. A party. You're not not only a conference, but a party. People at a party together. Yes, but and it just seems like oh my gosh, I've it just been so long since any of that was possible and. Our conference this year should be really amazing. Is it okay for me to go into this mode right now? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, tell us about it. Y'all sign up. (laughs) Excellent. We have Geneviève Legoff, who's an amazing practitioner from the West Coast, who's coming to New York to teach from the Jingwei Yahweh at the conference on Saturday, where there will also be other speakers. She's going to teach on heart pathologies from the Jingwei. And then she's teaching an all-day class on Sunday about blood pathologies. So that will, and Jueyin, Jueyin disease particularly. But she really has her own take on the circular dynamics in the classics. And she'll talk about that initially and then go into lots of different formulas that are some of which are probably not so familiar. So it will be really useful to gain knowledge of these formulas. And in the Jingwei, a lot of the formulas are small. So you can, they're great add-ons for formulas that you're already familiar with, just to kind of tweak a formula to deal with these pathologies that we see so much in clinic, the anxiety, the insomnia. Yeah, well, especially post-COVID, like we're just talking about, there's, you know, the anxiety, there's, there's, and then there's that unvirtuous spiral of not well and not sleeping and, you know, just good God, life in the modern age, even without COVID is a little bit insomnia producing. Yeah. And then our, Bo Anderson will be speaking about her study that she did about herbs in COVID. So that should be really great. Yes. And we're going to have her here on this series as well. That's great. And I'm so happy that you're having her. And we have Alan Saar, who's speaking about some of his translations. He's kind of amazing and has two of his translations are from Zhang Jingwei. And the one he's going to be focusing on more is his explanation of the development of the 10 questions in the diagnosis in in eight. And so it should be really, really interesting, but he's going to do it by also presenting a case. And yeah, he's pretty incredible. And then our last speaker is Beth Howlett, and she's talking about the Kumwa Chung Clinic. Have you heard her speak about that? Oh, I've not heard her speak, but I'm familiar with uh, Dr. Hay, who lived in uh, John Day middle of nowhere but but back in those days when he and his partner were alive out there it was kind of a happening place yeah it just sounds incredible 
a Chinese medicine herb clinic that was rediscovered and everything was there from the gold rush days when they rediscovered it. So she's going to speak about that. She did her dissertation on it. That's a really curious little bit of our Chinese medicine history here in the United States. It certainly is. It's fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, Sally, it's about time to wind this down. And I so appreciate your time today. And it's it's really wonderful to you know, be here three years later and be able to look back and talk about it. There's that. Any other thing, or if you could sum up, let me put it this way. If you could sum up what you have gotten from the past three years in terms of a kind of benefit from going through the times that you've gone through, what is it? What's that benefit that you've received from living through the plague years? I think the main benefit is a deep trust in our medicine. And just seeing how well it works in crazy times and normal times. It's just our medicine works so well. And I just wish more people would get that. Well, you're certainly doing your part with creating things like Shennong. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. And so are you, Michael. Yeah, it's a, it's a great contribution. All right, my friend. Well, good luck with the conference this year, and thanks for your time today, and uh, catch you again sometime in the near future. All right, great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. There is that old phrase about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And likewise, the troublesome health situations, especially something like epidemic disease, it invites us to consider our limits, search out resources that doctors of the past have found helpful, and then learn how to apply those principles and perspectives in the unfolding moments, working it out with our patients. Opportunities like the pandemic, thankfully, don't come by every day. But when they do, we should use it as a way to get better at the work we do. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.